Better than plastic surgery. I'm sure you're looking at that picture and say, that guy could do for a little bit of that as well. So let me ask you this morning, if the first service wasn't very honest and upfront. So how many in here are 100% satisfied with their body? 100%. It's just like the first service. There's not an immense amount of hands, actually. Now let me ask you this question. How many of you would change your spouse's body if you could? <laughs> God bless you. There's a couple, three hands. <clears throat> now, that's a, that'd be a, a rocky road to go down, I am sure. <clears throat> if you said yes to either one of those questions in your own mind, millions of Americans agree. Last year, billions of dollars were spent on plastic surgery. Here's some stats about plastic surgery. Here's popular cosmetic surgical procedures last year. Breast augmentation, 290,467 procedures. Liposuction, 235,237. Nose reshaping, 223,018. Tummy tuck, 127,633. Buttocks augmentation, that's what I've been thinking about getting. 18,489. That's just amazing to me. And here's minimally evasive procedures. Wrinkle treatment injections, 7 million. Hyaluronic acid fillers, I don't know what that is, 2 million. Chemical peel, 1.3 million. Mycoderm abrasion, 775,014. And laser treatment, 556, 781 procedures. And just think about, excuse me, all the money we spend on hair and people spending on trying to grow hair. Over my home church, there was a guy, a guy gave him some advice. He was bald and had some fringe of hair down there. And he said, hey, brother, I'll tell you how you can fix that. He said, you can rub Preparation H on your head. It won't grow hair, but it'll pull those sides up and they'll meet on top. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say anything, Rich. I love you too much. So... I'm going to call Baslers and have them. They need to stock their, restock their shelves, so I'm sure that. And here's some pictures of surgery that didn't turn out so well. That was her on the left before and then on the right after they got done. I thought, boy, wouldn't that wake you up? <laughs> they bring you out and take them bandages off, and your, your honey says... How do I look? Man, what do you say? It's like Abe Lincoln in that commercial. This Mary said, does this, Abe, does this dress make me look fat? You know, so that kind of thing. But After Jesus rose from the grave, he had a changed resurrection body without plastic surgery, actually. And Thomas found this out in this clip. This, this is a great clip. It, it, it kind of brings in what I'm talking about this morning. Let's watch.
I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side. I will not believe. Peace be unto you. Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. my God. Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. Sometimes it's hard for us to grasp that we'll have a body like that. <clears throat> when it comes to the resurrection of our bodies, it seems we have a, a, a lot of questions that, that come up. For example, what about babies? Will they be resurrected as infants or adults? And what happens to the bodies of those who've died violent, tragic deaths, who've been blown up, who've been crushed, dismembered, or lost at sea? And what about people who are cremated? I've had that question asked me a lot in the last couple of years. Personally, I don't have a problem with it. Because when your heart stops, the, the immortal part of you, your soul that this old body of clay houses while on this earth is gone. So I always tell Diane she can do with this old carcass what she wants to. In the immortal words of Tony Campolo, they're going to take you out and throw your carcass in a hole and go back to church and eat potato salad because that's just the way it is. So in that whole essence, a lot of people can't wrap their mind around that. But I, in Scripture, I don't, I don't see... If, so if you were thinking about that, I think it's a personal thing as well. You pray about it and whatever God lays on your heart, actually. But how will God resurrect these people? I think a lot of times when we... We delve into the supernatural that we don't really know anything about. We, we try to come up with the answer out of our own minds, and we try to put God and the supernatural into, into a box, but um, it's a limited view, actually. Paul addresses these issues in 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 49. He answers two questions. First, about some general principles, and then about our future bodies and the value of these present ones that we are now in, actually. The first question is this. 
Can the dead possibly be raised? If you remember going back in Corinthians, which is bizarre, they believed in Jesus' resurrection, but they didn't believe in their own. They thought when that was it. So he, they were doubting Thomas's like we saw in that clip. Thomas didn't believe Jesus was alive till actually he saw him. So in verse 35, the first part, but someone will say, how are the dead raised? So Paul's response is not subtle. It's right to the point in verse 36. He says, you fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. You can't have a plant unless you have a seed, and seeds are dead. When you hold seeds in your hand, whether you're planting a garden, soybeans or corn in the field, those seeds aren't alive, but you put them into the ground, into the nutrients, into the soil, into the water and the sun, and they become alive. That's the point that Paul is making. So death can come out of life. The enemy, death isn't the enemy of eternal life, but it's channel. Through death, God gives new life. Here's the deal. I won't be able to tell you what death's like when my death comes, because I won't be able to come back and tell you. The people that I've been with when they're dying, I believe that, that a lot of, you, you got one foot in one world and one in the next, and there's a, there's a small time where you can see both worlds. But my premise is this, it, it's going to be like walking through that door. You just go from this life into the next, that there won't, the transition's going to be really smooth, and um, I, I don't know, um, there's a lot of books, a lot of stories about near-death experiences, and sometimes people come back. I do believe this, and I've said this a lot. I think if you I ever saw the glories of heaven and the faces of people that have gone on that we love and we miss, I don't, I don't think we'd come back. But nonetheless, that's just, that's just my opinion. Farmers don't do it so much anymore, but maybe sometimes they do. They used to burn fields off. And it was good. It got rid of the old things. It kind of brought, brought the fresh and the new back into the soil. I think the Holy Spirit wants to do that sometimes in our lives as we think about um, what kind of crops in the, our spiritual lives that we are sowing. The Holy Spirit can come in and purge us and get us right back on the, on the, the right track again. Second question is this, with what kind of body will the dead be raised? Verse 35 says, but someone will say, and what kind of body do they come Paul uses some analogies and contrasts here, and he kind of invites us behind that supernatural curtain to see what lies ahead for us. I think it's good for us to know that. Here's three analogies. Paul paints three word pictures that illustrate what our future bodies will be like. The first he uses is seeds. His first analogy illustrates the continuity of life. Verse 37, and that which you sow, you do not sow. The body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps a wheat, or of something else. Although totally different from what it produces, a seed represents the life that will grow out of it. When you plant a piece of wheat, you get wheat, not watermelons. And when you plant an orange tree, you get oranges, not mangoes. There's a continuity of life. There's a, there's a connection between the seed and its fruit. And likewise, our heavenly bodies will be continuations of the life that God seeded in earth's soil here. Warren Wiersbe, Warren Wiersbe explains, and I quote, Resurrection is not reconstruction. 
Nowhere does the Bible teach that at the resurrection, God will put together the pieces and return to us our former bodies. There is continuity. It is our body, but there is not identity. It is not the same body, end of quote. Second analogy Paul uses is flesh. He talks about the distinctiveness of our future bodies in verse 39. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men and another flesh of beasts and another flesh of birds and another of fish. God has marked each species with distinctions, all of its own. And we will continue to bear some of the marks of our present body for the purpose of identity. And people have asked that. Well, I know people in heaven, Paul says you will, that will know them, that will recognize them. They won't look exactly the same. And maybe the question I ask, if you could change anything about your spouse, maybe God will take that consideration when, you, when they get their glorified body and they might look what image you had in your mind. But uh, I doubt it. I'm just telling you that to give you some false hope maybe. I don't know. Planets is the third analogy. In his last analogy, Paul pictures the diversity of our future bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, 40 and 41. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from stars in glory. Our bodies will be different from our present ones, but from those of us, and from those of others in the same way that no two stars shine. And what Paul is saying here, that we'll each be unique. Just like every star is not completely alike, and so it will be with us. And then he has four contrasts. He adds a little color to the sketch as he, the following chart helps us explain, see that more clearly. Earthly bodies are perishable. Heavenly bodies, imperishable. Earthly bodies are dishonorable. Heavenly bodies are glorious. Earthly bodies are weak. Heavenly bodies are powerful. Earthly bodies are natural. And heavenly bodies are spiritual. Perishable versus imperishable. All of, on all of us, aging leaves its subtle marks. And those who are younger maybe have not noticed that yet. Your eyes start to dim. Your ears go south. And people holler at you to get hearing aids, but you put new hearing aids in and the hollering continues. I didn't, I, I, when I was young, I thought I was going to stay young forever and that nothing would bother me and, and, and on and on. Part of my hearing problem is my problem. I cranked up my radio. I know none of you probably ever listened to loud music, but my, mine was pretty loud. And then in my insanity... Right in the first four or five years of ministry here at Crossroads, I thought it'd be a great idea to bring a pistol on stage with blanks and shoot that pistol. And I don't even know the connection with that, which probably there wasn't really any. I just wanted to do it, so I did something stupid. So Mike Brooks brings in a, I don't know, where's a 38, had blanks in it. And like a dummy, I went in the back of the Sherman house. That was before carpet, it was all marble. And I shot that gun and busted an eardrum. That's how smart your pastor is. So you might, put, you, you might think about that. So that's, that's part of why I have, I have hearing aids. I inflected it on myself. But as you get older, things happen like that. And your spirit of adventure turns into one of fear. Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 7. Solomon points that out. Things that you used to do easily, you don't, 
you don't really want to do it because there's a, a little intrepidation there. It's like climbing high ladders. You know, I get on a ladder now, it gets a little wobbly. It's just weird. And it's, it's aggravating because you can't do what you used to do. And, and that, that's just part of this perishable body. But when I'm raised, I will be imperishable. I, I won't have to worry about old age. I won't have to worry about having a new pain every day and going on and on. So that, that's some of the hope that we've got. Secondly, dishonorable versus glorious. Our bodies are not only perishable, but they're dishonorable. Our future bodies are not only imperishable, but glorious. Although we are sown in the soil of sin, bearing these thorns of lustful desires here on earth, they will be raised in innocent glory. I won't have to worry about temptation. You grasp that? Who in here can say that they're never tempted? None of us. We all are. It's part of Satan's job. That's, that's, that's what he does. That's his M.O. And, and even though it's so subtle sometimes, the Holy Spirit will convict it and will realize that, that we're being tempted. In that heavenly body, that won't be there. Weak versus powerful. William Barclay captures Paul's thought behind this contrast. And I quote, it is nowadays fashionable to talk about man's power. And boy, we do, don't we? But the really remarkable thing is his weakness. A draft of air or a drop of water can kill him. We are limited in this life so often simply because of the necessary limitations of the body. Time and time again, our physical constitution says to our visions and our plans, thus far and no farther. We are so often frustrated because we are what we are. But in the life to come, the limitations will be gone. Here we are compassed about with weakness. There we will be clad with power. All we have hoped or willed or dreamed of good shall exist. And the high that proved too high, the heroic for earth, too hard. Natural versus spiritual. Paul makes a final contrast in verse 44. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. We've got to be honest this morning. When I talk about the old nature, the natural man, we are dominated by the desires that we have to constantly squelch. Romans 7, 14 through 25. And if we're wise, when they come up, we say, help me, Jesus, and move on. But in all honesty, we don't always do that, do we? This is what we face in this life. That a lot of times we allow the old nature to dominate us instead of the Holy Spirit. But in spiritual bodies, we'll be don dominated by the power of the Holy Spirit. And 100% of the time, we will please God. That's staggering to me. I don't know of another human being on this earth that pleases God and is totally beat 100% of the time, myself included. We'll be like Christ. As you saw him in that resurrected body, we will we'll, we'll be able to do what he did, which is an amazing thing to me. So if I'm here in Solomon in my resurrected body, I can just think about being in Jerusalem, and I'll be there. I won't even have to worry about Scotty beaming me up to the enterprise. I can just go. It, it doesn't work. That just blows me away. Jesus could walk through walls. It, it, I think it's, it's unlimited what we'll be able to do, and we'll be completely free from sickness, sadness, and death, Revelation 21.4. That, that gives me great hope. You get tired of death. 
You get tired of phone calls that somebody's got cancer or had an accident and they're going to leave us soon. It's, I know it's part of life and it comes with the territory, but man, you get tired of it. But it, it is what it is and we have to accept that. We have to accept that it's part of life. I don't know how people survive really without God, without in that moment of sadness and it's just like your heart's ripped out. Now you can say, help me Jesus and the Holy Spirit comforts us. He doesn't take the pain away completely, but he helps us deal with it and we've all been there. Paul wraps up his reply to the Corinthians with a quick comparison contrasting Adam and Christ. Verse 44 through 49. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy, and the second man is from heaven. As in the earthy, so also are those who are earthy, and as in the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of of the heavenly. Adam and Christ have two things in common. Their beginnings were both unique and sinless. But what they accomplished was altogether different. Formed from the dust of the ground, Adam gave natural life to the entire human race. I always picture this in my mind is God forming Adam out of the dust, out of the clay of the ground. And, he, and he, he bent down and he breathed eternal life into Adam's nostrils. And the lungs filled and he started to breathe. And when that moment came, he breathed immortal life into every human being. That's why we have a soul. God did that then. He breathed that life into him. And that's why we go somewhere when we die. There are some that deny that, but that's, that's what God tells us, that at that moment, man became immortal. So all of us here this morning, when God so chooses to stop our heart, you're going to go somewhere. And I, I, <laughs> it's always my prayer you got the right ticket in your hand. Uh, you know, that's the point. Where Jesus, conceived by the Holy Spirit, is able to give spiritual life to all who believe. So I ask about we have an image in life. Wherever you go, wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you go to school, you have an image that you portray 24-7. Bearing Adam's image, we're all destined to die, Romans 5:12. But if we also bear the image of Christ, we will live forever. That's in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 15. Have you changed your image from natural to spiritual? So we ask ourselves this morning, does my life reflect Adam's or Christ? Does it mirror glory or instead guilt? Our resurrection bodies will be much better than plastic surgery here on earth. Because if even if we spent all that money and got every body part changed, it's still going to go old and we're going to die. We might look good when they plant us, but still you're not going to be there. Greg Laurie is a pastor in California. He sits down with Randy Alcorn, who wrote a huge book about heaven, and they discussed these new bodies. Let's listen in active injustice in all of human history, the, the murder of Jesus came about the greatest good, the salvation of mankind. For those that 
put their faith in Christ. Exactly. You know, you have to put your faith in Christ. But uh, so he rises again from the dead. And this is not only important for Jesus doing this, but really now we look at everything differently because death died when Christ rose. We still die. Mm. And our bodies still go into the ground. But now he walks around on the earth in his resurrected body, which is similar to his body. It's still Jesus, the same guy. He even said, it is I, not another. But yet he has the marks of the crucifixion in his hands and feet. He tells Thomas to look at them. Uh, he wants food to eat. He eats a piece of fish, you know, so he ate food. He spoke with a human voice, but yet he appears in a room without using the door. So what would be the similarities between the resurrection body of Christ and maybe the new bodies that we will receive one day? Well, Scripture tells us that um, we'll see him, and when we see him, we'll be like him, yes. for we'll see him as he is. Right. And so we know that our resurrection bodies will be modeled after mm -hmm. Christ. And one of the things that Jesus said to his disciples... So in we'll their, eat in our resurrection bodies? Right. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you should Jesus, write a book about hamburgers or something, your next book. <laughs> In heaven. Hamburgers in heaven. What do you yeah. think? Have you ever had someone interview you that actually serves to distract you <laughs> from <laughs> it's That's a kind gift. Of it's a gift and Greg exercises the gift phenomenally well. I, I love to I love it when Randy's like on a roll and then I throw a random thought and he loses train of his thought. But Jesus said to his disciples, yeah. I, I won't look at you, I'll just look at all of these good people. Um Wait, I see you back there too. But, uh, but he, he said, look, this body, this is a body. Touch me, handle me. I am not a ghost. Mm -hmm. A ghost, a spirit does not have flesh and bones as I have. I have actual flesh and bones. That's yeah. what the resurrection bodies will have. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought we were just going to be spirits, like disembodied spirits floating around mm. forever in heaven. No, because God's going to bring heaven down to the new earth. We'll be resurrected yes. people for all eternity. That's Eating right. and drinking. Yes. It's an amazing concept when we, we think about that. You know, we... We, we talk about that, but then we look in the mirror and we see what we're left with here in our own presence body. And we're going to be stuck in this body till God stops our heart or the eastern sky splits. I like that word picture in my mind that the day is coming that God the Father on the throne will turn to Jesus at his right hand and say, okay, son, bring, bring my kids home. And, you know, we're out of here, but we don't know when that will be. So when we talk about resurrected bodies, there, as we've heard and the scripture, no scars, no warts. They'll be fat-free, hopefully. Everything will fit. You never have to worry about buying new clothes. So, but uh, it's just a, it's, it's, it's just different to think about it. I, I hope some of the things that we covered this morning maybe answered some of your questions. But something we need to be reminded of the rest of our lives: God designed your body for you. So accept it as it is. As we accept the body that God gave us, we embrace his grace and sovereignty in our life. We say yes to God that he has made us who we are. 
and he loves what he sees. We don't a lot of times. God didn't put this belly on me. I did this. I'm, I'm, that's, I, I did it myself. You know, that, that's the thing. But this is the body that he's gave us, and we need to, to accept that. God planned the distinction between you and others, so don't compare yourself to somebody else. Playing the comparison game will drive you crazy. Some do it with occupations, with grades, with looks, with gifts, with money. It's a no-win situation. Paul said in verse 39, all flesh is not the same flesh. You're unique. You're special in God's eyes, and we need to relax and enjoy ourselves in a sense. Be yourself in your own skin. We sat with Susie's daughters uh, yesterday at, over at Marshall, and that was one of the things they said about their mother, that she kind of hammered in them. Be yourself. Don't let anybody else take you and put you in their mold. Be the person that God has made you to be. And I, I think, I think that's, that's, that's good advice. Lastly, God predicted that your body would have certain limitations, so stop condemning yourself. We bear this earthly image it is unrealistic to expect perfection. And if there's a nagging sin in your life, you need to forgive yourself and ask forgiveness of Christ and move on. Isn't it amazing how much baggage that we drag around from the past? John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, you see that on the picture, the book. An old pilgrim, he's all bent over with this huge weight on his back that he can't get rid of. Here's the problem with us. We'll confess it. We'll leave it here. And then it follows us to the car. And before we go home, we open the door and let it back in. That's, Satan's doing that. He don't want you to forget. He wants you to, to keep weighted down. It, it, it really messes up our progress in Christ. Discontentment, comparison, and condemnation are all contrary to God's pattern and design for your life. But yet there's a lot of areas like that that we struggle with. Here's some closing questions for only you to answer in your mind and your heart. Why do you think people are unwilling to accept the bodies God gave them? Do you accept yours? Do you think our society encourages comparison? Do you do that? Do you compare? Comparison can be a sign of insecurity. Are you secure in who you are in Christ, who God made you to be? In general, do you feel that people are too hard on themselves or too easy? How about you? How can God's grace impact these areas in your life? As we get older, our body decays with every breath. That's not a positive way to look at it, but it's the truth. We're closer to eternity than we were yesterday. Every breath full of air that we inhale and exhale, it puts you closer to the end. So my point is, I, I hope, I hope you're, you're ready for that. We can't, we can't prolong the decay. We can do surgeries and all kinds of stuff to change us, but we cannot stop it. So with God's help and grace, we accept who we are, body, soul, and spirit. And we take hope in the fact that we are aliens and strangers in this land and that one day we'll go to where we were made to be in eternity. But until that time, 
We need to be satisfied with who we are. I know that's not what the world preaches. Commercials and all this input that we get is be this, be that, whatever. But I think for you and I to find peace in our lives, we just have to accept who we are and do it with grace. Lord, we love you. I thank you for loving us and being so good. I don't know, Lord, if we're all honest, if we do accept ourselves the way you do. And that's why I said, God, I, I just wish, even if it's just a moment a day, that we could see ourselves and we could see each other as you see us, special, unique, gifted, the child of God. So that's my prayer this morning. We leave that place, this place seeing ourselves as you see us. And if there be anybody here this morning, Lord, that doesn't know you, that they might want to make that choice. And if they need help to do that, I'm sure be glad to do it. We love you, God, and we give you praise and glory. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen.